Amen. Well, good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas. So I'm glad that you are here today. Well, I tell you what, I am excited just to be able to be here and see folks everywhere here and a few up there and lots of social distance there, about 30 feet. And uh, but amen. What, a, what awesome. We're so glad each of you could come and what a beautiful, foggy, cold Christmas day. That's just the kind of day I want to go to church on. And I'm so grateful that each of you are here. And I can tell you that I've been waiting. Because last Sunday we had an awesome service. Wasn't last Sunday amazing? Give God glory. I'll tell you what, it was just amazing. <laughs> Woo! Tell you what, to have a, a dedication service where we do just that. We dedicate the building to the honor and the glory of the Lord and for His Word. It's a sweet service, and uh, we can't wait till we get all the little things done and then uh, have a great grand opening. Maybe the communities will open up a little bit, and so we'll be able to have a, just a, a great, a great day. And uh, thank you, the Lord, for the wonderful drama last night. My goodness, just amazing, so beautiful. And for a Saturday night, a cold Saturday night, and uh, given the environment in our community, boy, people just came. It was amazing. So thank the Lord. We're looking forward to even a, a greater service tonight. And now, let me just say this before we begin. I just want to, again, express my gratefulness, my love, my uh, deep, deep appreciation for each of you. And for those of you that are online, I, I know that you're enjoying that new cameras that we got, all the different shots. And uh, I don't want you to like it too much now because we want you here as soon as you can, as soon as you feel uh, medically able. But uh, for all the staff, all the volunteers, uh, all the support, all the prayers, all the love, all the giving, folks, uh, you, uh, with God's help, have made this a reality. And so uh, I'm excited because of what this means for the future. Uh, yes, just glad to be in it right now, but I am so excited what it means for the future, for the future of this region to have a decidedly... Uh, a Christian, uh, Bible-believing ministry that is unashamedly uh, full-on with God and the authority of Scripture. And so it's an awesome thing. And I also just want to say thank each of you for your, uh, uh, for your courage and for coming. I know it's not an easy thing with all the things out there being said to be in church, but uh, we've just had such a uh, we just know what God wants us to do. And so and uh, thank God he's blessed us in that, and so we're here today. Well, uh, last night, last Sunday, I got to preach a little bit. Last night, a little bit, and uh, I loved it. But I tell you what, I've been saving it up, so I hope you have a triple shot and, uh, and enjoyed that uh, beautiful Fellowship Cafe. But this morning, this is my first sermon in this building, the real sermon. I mean, last Sunday was good, and last night was good, but this is the first real one. And so uh, I just want to make sure that uh, we, you know, there's a law first mentioned in Scripture. And so this is the first sermon. I want it to be one that honors the Lord. We're going to talk this morning about an unusual Christmas. An unusual Christmas. And I think that you would agree with me that 2020 has been an unusual year. I saw the headlines, so many of them, different papers, uh, Christmas is canceled. I saw one headline. Another one said, uh, don't visit anybody for Christmas. And uh, other one said, you know, retailers, it's not a merry Christmas for them. There's a lot of uh, talk out there right now. And 2020, for sure, is a different Christmas. But then when you think about it, 
Brothers and sisters, the fact is, Christmas has always been an unusual thing. Think about the dichotomy that uh, has always existed between the Christian and the world at Christmas. Just drive down the road here a little bit, and you'll see on one lawn, there'll be a, 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 um, a weight-challenged man in a, <laughs> in a red suit. He'll have a beard there, and he'll some, have a little elf next to him, some reindeer, and he'll be saying, ho, 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 and they'll, uh, that's Christmas. They'll say uh, Xmas, or they'll say happy holidays, but that's what you'll see on one lawn. You go down a little bit further, and on another lawn, you'll see Christ there in a manger. You'll see angels, and you'll see uh, maybe the songs singing, uh, Silent Night. And throughout it all, we'll see the fact that it is a difference. The world has a difference. I have always appreciated what Luke and Elena have, their little sign that says, Remember Jesus. That's their Christmas decorations. Remember Jesus at Christmas time. And for truth is, Christmas has always been a paradox. For some, Christmas means peace, goodwill towards men. For others, it means mass confusion, furious rushing around, suicide rates. It's been really amazing how the suicide rates have been so much greater this year. In fact, I just read a statistic. I included one of my articles, and that is that in the country of Japan, surprisingly, there have been more suicides this year than there have been deaths by coronavirus. I mean, the lockdown is creating more problems, unintended, I'm sure, but it's creating more problems than the actual virus. And that's what's happening with so many people. Christmas time this year, they feel so different, and it just seems like an unusual year. But when you get to thinking about it, really, folks, the first Christmas was very unusual. Educated men came to worship the Lord. People came to give gifts to the Lord. And yet today, educated men often make fun of Jesus and make fun of going to church. And so there's been an unusual Christmas this year, but the truth is that's really no different than it's ever been. Christmas has always been an unusual day. Well, we're going to pray and I'm going to show you four mysteries surrounding Christmas that is going to just be such a blessing to you. I know it was such to me this week, but speaking of unusual, uh, there was a sermon that a pastor decided. He thought, I'm just going to do something unusual, something unique. And so he decided to use a peanut to explain the mysteries of God, explain the glories of God in um, creation and in nature. And uh, after the sermon, one of the persons came as they were going out the door, and they said, Pastor, that was so interesting. I, I don't think I've ever heard a message like that. I never expected to learn so much from a nut. And, <laughs> and so we, uh, that's an unusual sermon. But I'll tell you what, we're going to have an un we're going to see an unusual truth today about the beginnings of Christmas. Let's all bow our heads forward to prayer, please. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the blessings. I look forward, Lord, to you giving us a, a wonderful day. And Lord, I just praise you. I pray that each one of us, Lord, might just seek your face. I pray that you'll come in your special anointing right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, please. We're going to kind of be bouncing back and forth here this morning because of the nature of the message. 
Christmas is unusual. Christmas is a paradox, really. It is, as Scripture calls it, a mystery. A mystery is a word is often used in Scripture to describe something that previously was hidden and now is made real, or just the depth of something that's so amazing. It's mysterious. It's hard to get to the bottom of it. Romans chapter 16 and verse 25 Here's what the great Apostle Paul said, Now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, the revealing of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. What an amazing mystery. Only God could come up with this concept that God would come and be born into the form of a man. He would come and die for the sins of mankind. No human could have ever thought of that. As Paul said, it is a revelation. It is a mysterious revelation. And then as he was preaching to the Ephesian church, chapter 6 and verse 19, and for me, asking for their prayers, that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly, And that's what we need to do, open our mouth boldly and to make known what? The mystery of the gospel. Some folks uh, have the feeling that uh, they're just going to live the gospel, and that's certainly important. But here, Paul said, I need prayer that I would lift up my voice. I would use my mouth to speak of the mystery of the gospel. God help me to explain the unexplainable to people who don't even oftentimes know they need it or Don't think they want it. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto the riches of full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement, what? Of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ. The only hope that we have in understanding Scripture, the mysterious Scripture, is to have the Holy Spirit teach us these great mysteries. And then, of course, that uh, amazing verse in 1 Timothy chapter 1, or chapter 3, that reminds us of the mystery of God. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And Brother Paul explained to young Pastor Timothy, God manifesting himself in a fleshly body, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. You can't explain something that's unexplainable any better than that. But here, what a, what a mysterious thing it is, the gospel that God would come and be born into this world. We sing about it, we talk about it, we've written poems about it, we have plays about it, and yet really it's an unusual thing. Is 2020 an unusual year for many people? I think it's just about everybody. 2020 is, as we come to the end, I think this is a different Christmas. And yet, really, when you think about it, Christmas has always been different. It's always been unusual. Let me give you this morning four mysteries surrounding Christmas. The four mysteries surrounding Christmas. First of all, the mystery of Christ's holiness. The mystery of Christ's holiness. Now, we've been told, and it's more than just a saying, but the fact is Christmas begins with Christ. Now, some want to make it a holiday just 
for this and for that, for gift giving or for lots of good food. But the fact is, Christmas begins with Christ. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself, therefore, the Lord himself, prophet Isaiah said, I didn't come up with this, folks. (laughs) It's not my idea. The Lord gave this to me. The Lord gave me this prophecy. He shall give a sign, and it's going to be, have to be a good sign, or else no one's going to really know that it's true. Well, it is an amazing sign. Behold, every, that word means, this is amazing, look at this, behold, I mean, stop for a second, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, if God had told Isaiah, tomorrow about one o'clock, it's going to rain. Well, that might have been a pretty good prediction. Most weathermen do pretty good. Some don't do very good, it seems like. It seems like they really don't do good when you try to have an outdoor event, like have our grand opening and have the rainiest day of the year. But anyway, our dedication Sunday. But you know, the fact is, uh, even that though, uh, it's the prediction of rain is something. It's maybe this, maybe that. It might have happened or might not, but it's really not that amazing if we predict and we get it right. But behold, a virgin shall conceive. That is absolutely an impossibility. Now, in some study Bibles, maybe you might even have one, or if you're online, you might even uh, read someone saying, well, it doesn't really mean an actual virgin. It just means a young lady. Well, friends, I remind you that every single time in the New Testament, when that uh, Hebrew word is used for virgin, it means a virgin. It's not just a young gal that's having a baby. That's not a sign. That just means she's a member of the home church. That's all that means. But um, you know, when it says that she shall give birth and she will have never been married, never known a man, now that is an amazing thing. But notice what it says. Then amazingly, his name shall be called Emmanuel. You'd say, well, I know somebody named Manuel. Well, we're not talking about Manuel, although it's from the same uh, part there. But Emmanuel means something amazing because it means God, that little suffix at the end. Anytime you see that uh, suffix E-L in the Hebrew language, like El Shaddai means God, uh, Almighty God. Or at the end of it, Bethel means uh, the house of God. Here, it's, Emmanuel means God with us. Now think about it. You talk about something amazing. Isaiah said, here's, what's gonna, here's what God, the Holy Spirit, told Isaiah. Get it down. There is a woman who's going to be a virgin. There's, she's coming. It's a, it's a coming moment. And she is going to give birth to God. God with us. Then the Holy Spirit explained it even further. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. At the moment the child is born, that very moment, it is the Son of God given to mankind. Well, that's amazing. Yes. But listen to this. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name? Oh, this baby? Yeah. So let me get this straight. This baby that's going to be there in my arms is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, 
mighty God. I'm going to hold God in my arms. Yes, the Father of eternity, the Prince of Peace. You talk about a mystery, a mystery that the baby would be born on a date in time who simultaneously cannot be contained by time. God, who is eternal, is going to allow himself to be put with a state, with a date and a time stamp on his birth. The unprecedented nature of Christ is very clear that he, well, it is a mysterious beginning. A woman created by God will bring forth God. The son who made the woman, then that same woman in turn would bring forth the son of God. Think about, I mean, how could this be? And that's why when in Luke chapter 1, turn please, if you would, Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it was just uh, too much for her, too much for Joseph to understand. The angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost, how, how is this possible? Uh, she was wondering, and the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mary, you are going to conceive a baby. And she was thinking, uh, I don't think so. I'm not even married. I betrothed to Joseph, but they had not uh, been together. She said, uh, he, he, and the God, the, through this angel said, this child that's born will be holy, never having any sin. Now, when these babies are born, they're so precious. And uh, around here is just always such a joy to hold one of these little babies. But, and they're sweet, but are they holy? <laughs> no, these babies aren't holy. I will, uh, we all know that they, uh, in a few months, they're going to begin uh, showing their sin nature. It reminds me of the nurse who told the parents of a newly born child. They said, you have such a cute baby. The smiling husband said, I bet you say that to all the new parents. And she said, no, just uh, to those whose babies are really good looking. And the husband said, well, what do you say to the others? The nurse said, I just say the baby looks just like you. <laughs> and that's the problem, isn't it? Those babies are too much like us. But uh, this baby was like God because this baby was God. He was God in the flesh. The mighty God of Isaiah in chapter 9 is the same Jesus of the Gospels. Jesus is Jehovah. That's exactly what this is saying. What? Yes. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. They work together to bring forth a Savior to the world. Look what it says in the great Old Testament Joel. Joel, turn to the book of Joel chapter 2. Joel is an amazing prophet, probably the oldest prophet, uh, and we don't have a time stamp like we do some of the others. But in Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. There's coming a day. Joel is important because he talked about the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is a very important day. It's talking about the time of tribulation and beyond. But this day of the Lord, this tribulation time when people get saved, will be getting saved, it already is beginning. In fact, it began way back in the Old Testament, really. But it's beginning certainly in the New Testament period. 
And that's why exactly what it says in Romans chapter 10. Whosoever shall call, Romans 10 verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a quote. Paul is quoting Joel chapter 2, that Jesus is the Jehovah that Joel talked about. Jesus is the one who would save people. That's the same one. He is God, but he is man. Think about that. He is both God and he is man at the same time. I mean, how can one be the son of a human and yet have no human father? How is that possible? Well, that's unusual. And this Christmas is unusual. It's unusual for many reasons. As a community, it's unusual in many families. It's unusual for our, really, the world. It's unusual. And yet, the fact is, it's always been unusual. It is a sign. It is a mystery. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus was unlike any human that's ever been born because he was holy. And that's the first mystery of the Christmas story is the fact of Christ's holiness. There's a second mystery this morning, and that is the mystery of Christ's heritage. The mystery of his heritage. Now, for many people, they love uh, studying genealogies. For some, they uh, have their genealogies back a few years, some, some cases back many years. In fact, I've read of some people that know their genealogies back four or five hundred years. It's incredible. Uh, last year, I put my spit into a little bottle and uh, sent it off to one of these DNA places, and it was fascinating. What, and it was really fascinating to find out, had a first cousin not far from here, different people that had shared my same DNA and where I was from. You know, that's all a fascinating thing. But here, God is going to say, if you want to know fascinating, then you ought to know the DNA of Jesus, because it means something very important. It, in order for Jesus to be the Messiah, in order for Jesus to be Christ, in order for him to be the true Savior, he has to have a certain DNA. And that DNA is a very intricate. And you know, one thing about that DNA is you can't lie about that. I mean, all those little markers, it just shows exactly who you're related to. And that's exactly what we're going to see here. Let's go to Genesis 49 and verse 10. The first step of Jesus's DNA, it says, that he has to be related to Judah. 4,000 years ago, we are told that the Messiah, the one who would save the world, would be related to Judah. Kind of a strange thing, really, but let's go back to Genesis chapter 49, verse number 10. It says, the scepter, meaning uh, the kingship, uh, the right to rule, shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. The word Shiloh just means whose right it is. And so here God makes this amazing promise. Now there were 12 tribes of Israel. That's a big group of people. But God thins the ranks down and he, and I don't know what the statistics are, but now just one out of the 12 tribes. That's a huge narrowing of the DNA. 
He has to come. The Messiah will have to come through Judah. That just blocked out a whole bunch of people right there. And so the statistical possibilities for someone who could trace their line all the way back to Judah, that's what's been amazing because no other group has done that. Maybe the Chinese have come pretty close to tracing their heritage back hundreds, maybe even thousand years. But no group ever was able to trace their genealogies like the Jews were. They traced it all the way back. And we can see that in Luke. And we can see that uh, also in the book of John. And God traces it all. And he shows us. And now who is this guy Judah? Well, he is one of the sons of Israel. But the fact is Judah was frankly not a nice guy. <laughs> he, uh, as we'll see, he... First of all, his son died, and when his son died, his daughter-in-law, he was supposed to take care of his daughter-in-law, but he was, not a, he was not a very generous guy, very stingy. He was the original Grinch, for sure. Well, his daughter-in-law, uh, she was suffering, and uh, she knew it was, uh, he should take care of her, but he wouldn't take care of her, and so she conjured up a plan, not a good plan, but it was her plan, and that is that uh, she would get him to take care of her. Well, it was well known that Judah was uh, a man who would visit prostitutes when he would go to uh, neighboring towns. And so she decided that she was going to go into one of those towns. She was going to pretend to be a prostitute. She would cover her face up. And when Judah came into town, uh, she would uh, entice him and she would lay with him. And that's exactly what she did. And then back in chapter 38 and verse number 24 of Genesis... The inevitable happened. It took about three months, it said, and that's about how long it takes to know whether a person is pregnant or not, at least without the test. And so she was pregnant with her father-in-law, Judah. This guy was not a good guy, really, even though he had some good things about him. And the fact is, he was not a good fellow at all. But that um, created a huge issue now, because look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 23. And verse 2, now Judah's lineage has a bastard, as the Bible calls him. Look at Deuteronomy 23, very plain language, verse 2. A bastard, meaning an illegitimate child, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to ten generations. Now, God wasn't being mean to them. There was a national reason for that. There was also a, a very symbolic reason for that. But notice what it says, for ten generations. Wow. That pretty much, uh, that pretty much just excludes that it could be Christ. Now let's narrow this even further. Let's go to second Samuel chapter seven, verse 16, second Samuel seven and verse 16. Now God says, not only does it has to be through Judah, but it has, this DNA has to go through one particular line of Judah. It has to go through David here. This is the great Davidic promise. Look what it says. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. And notice what it says. Thy throne shall be established forever. You need to know this, David, that from this point forward, there will never be another person who sits on the throne that is not one of your descendants. That's a promise. We saw Solomon, we saw Rehoboam and all those, uh, we see that line. It's just amazing. But now, uh, notice how meticulous it is. 
we'd say, wait a second, how could this be? I thought if Judah had committed this sin and he had an illegitimate child, then for 10 generations, no one could go into the congregation of the Lord, certainly wouldn't be the Messiah. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 1, and beginning with verse number 3. And I want you to notice how, how absolute amazing care God takes to show that 10 generations is going to pass. Notice what it says, Pharisees begat Esram, that's two generations. Esram begat Aram, that's three. Aram begat Abinadab, that's four generations. Abinadab begat Nasan, that's five. Nasan Solomon, six. Solomon Boaz, seven. Boaz Obed, eight. Obed Jesse, that's nine. And then Jesse begat David. Isn't that something? Exactly what the Bible said, 10 generations from the twin sons, as it says here, Ferris was one of the sons, one of the twin sons of, of Judah, 10 exact generations. And now the messianic line is cleansed because that 10 generations has passed. God does things exactly as scripture says. It is amazing how that Christmas is all about the forgiveness of God, about the, the fact that he brings it all together, the holiness of God about the heritage of Christ. It has to come through Judah. It has to go through David. But in order to go through David, the line has to be cleansed. And that's exactly what it did when those 10 generations passed. You know, I love the Christmas trees. I really do. I know some folks, uh, it kind of bothers them. But I will tell you, I, I love the Christmas tree tradition. I'm not sure who thought of it first, but I do know that Martin Luther used it to teach spiritual things. He took these green Christmas trees, put a light on them, and talk about the ever-growing and growth. But I think it's very appropriate, and we have talked about the Christmas tree, I think, many years at our family celebration, and that is that Jesus was crucified on a tree. And the green of that tree reminds us how that we ought to grow in the Lord, and the presence underneath it reminds us of that unspeakable gift of Jesus, and all the things that we remind us of. You really... A Christmas tree is a tremendous picture of the love of God, that Jesus was born so that he could die on a tree so that we could have eternal life. A holy God with a heritage that exactly matches Scripture so that he could be the Messiah. It's important to God. The mystery of Christ's holiness, the mystery of Christ's heritage. And the third unusual thing about Christmas, the first Christmas, was the mystery of Christ's home. Have you ever wondered why God talks so much about Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Judea and all these different places? Well, it's more than just a, a, or a geographical fact. God is actually showing us that everything is exactly according to his plan. He can use anything. Let's go to Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, Bethlehem means the a house of bread, God's bread, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old to everlasting. Now, if we were to say, uh, you know, that in 
a hundred years. Someone is going to be born from Lyndon that is going to be the president of the United States. If that was to happen, I mean, people would say, oh, that guy was amazing. How could he think of such a thing? But we're talking about hundreds of years before. And God says, a little village, not far from Jerusalem by the name of Bethlehem, basically not really a, a big fancy city by any means, just a small little place, 500 years before it would happen that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He has to be from Judah. So the DNA gets very narrow. Then it has to be through David, but the, the line has to be cleansed. And then he has to be from Bethlehem. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing, but it even gets more narrow than that. Look at Hosea chapter 11, verse number 1. Brother Hosea came along, and the Holy Spirit said, um, not only will he be from Bethlehem, but he has to come out of Egypt. Look at chapter 11, verse 1, out of Egypt, out of Egypt. <laughs> How can that be? I mean, I thought he was supposed to be Jewish. I thought he was supposed to be from uh, Canaan land. And, he comes from Egypt. Yep. He has to come out of Egypt. And then if that wasn't enough, God narrows it even further. You talk about unusual. You talk about mysterious. How could that happen? Look at Isaiah 11 and verse number one. And there came forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The word branch there is the Hebrew word natsar. It means sprout. And in Israel, there is a town called Sprout Town, and it is Nazareth, the very same word. God is saying he has to come, he has to be born in Bethlehem, he has to come out of Egypt, and he has to be in a place called Sprout Town. He has to live in Nazareth. How can one person do all of that? How is that actually possible? Let's go to Matthew chapter 2 and see how God puts it together. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 5. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Mary and Joseph betrothed were called to go back to their home city, which was Bethlehem. They went back there and for the census. They uh, recorded themselves and then uh, God warned Joseph in a dream. He said, you need to get out of here <laughs> because uh, this, is, uh, this is not a good place. And so uh, you, you need to save your family. You need to take care of your wife. And so they go to Egypt, at least uh, close to Egypt. They go down there and they stay safely for a time. And then the Holy Spirit gives them the green light to go back. But as they're coming back, they realize that Bethlehem just is no place to go back to, but uh, there's more safety in Nazareth. And so they go back to, Naz to Nazareth. Look what it says, verse 5, for thus it is written by the prophet, and now Bethlehem in the land of Judah. So he was from Bethlehem, but now we find out that he's going to be uh, from, look at verse 13, and when they were departed, behold, the angel Lord appeared to Joseph and said in a dream, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee into Egypt, and there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now we have Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. 
that has been uh, acknowledged and has been fulfilled. And then to fulfill prophecy, let's go down to verse 22 of that same chapter. But when they heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. Now Herod was a bad guy, but he at least had a soft side. His son Archelaus, he was one evil, evil guy. In fact, he was so evil, history records that he executed 3,000 Jews, basically for no reason, just exterminated them. The Jews were very afraid of Archelaus. They should be. Now, how is this possible that 500 years, 600 years, 700 years before it ever happened, God knew the political situation in Israel of the day. He knew who was going to be the ruler, Herod. He knew who would come in his stead, Archelaus. He knew how it would all happen, and God just weaved it all together. And that's one of the things I think we all reassure ourselves with at this time. None of us are happy. I think about uh, very few uh, God-fearing Christians, I think, are happy about what's happened this year in our country. But you know the fact is, God knows all about it. And God's going to work it out. God's going to bring it together. And God brought this together. Why? Verse 23, so that he could be dwell in a city. He could dwell there. That means he could be raised there in a city called Sprout Town. The Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled with what was spoken by the prophets. Isn't that amazing how God brings it all together? God brought all of these things together and there God is giving us a great reminder of his holiness, of his heritage, and then of his home. We're told that this sometime this week there's going to be a, an amazing alignment of some planets, and it's going to be a very bright uh, uh, celestial body, uh, kind of like a star, not really a star. But um, it reminds me of, I think we saw this wonderful video a year or two ago about the star of Christ. You know that almost every culture, uh, the Korean culture, the came, the holiness of Christ, the mystery of his heritage and his home, and finally, the mystery of his hierarchy. That is that he must have royal blood. The Savior of the world must have royal blood. He must be connected to royalty. And so that means some interesting things must happen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. He has to be through the line of David. We, know he, we already know he's from Judah. That line has been cleansed. But he has to be from David. And we're going to see how that happens. But we're also going to see there's a problem. Look at verse 6. And Jesse begat David the king. We're in the genealogy. Sometimes people say genealogies, they're not really very exciting. Well, when you begin to get the background, they're super exciting. Verse number six, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias, and Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Joseph begat Jeconiah. Let's go down to verse 11. We'll kind of skip through some of those genealogies. We come now to the final king of Judah. And Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away unto Babylon. 
Jeconias was the final king of Judah. Babylon captivity ended Israel's ruling family. But there's a problem with Jeconiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 30. He was not a very good guy. He may have been connected to the tribe of Judah, but he was not a good guy. He was very evil. And because of that, God said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sanction you. The Bible calls it a curse. Verse chapter 22, verse 30. Thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah, I want you to go and warn Jeconiah. Warn this man. Warn this evil leader. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless. It doesn't mean that he didn't have any children, as we'll see later on, because uh, he did. But it says, a man that shall not prosper in his days, or that no man of his seed, he's going to have seed, but none shall prosper, none will ever sit upon the throne of David and rule anymore in Judah. This was about 500 years or so before the time of Christ. And so now God said, nobody who is a descendant of Jeconiah can ever sit on the throne. He can, you cannot, it's not going to happen. So that means now that Christ, the Messiah, wait a second, we had to have him come through Judah. He had to come through David. But now the line of David has been, uh, there's been this evil uh, sanction that has come in, the sanction on evil that has come in. And God has said, nope, it's not going to happen. Well, uh, God uh, solves this problem too. Look at Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verse 15. Notice the wording very clearly. And God is going through this genealogy, and Eliad begat Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Methan, and Methan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph. Notice all the begats. It's meaning uh, they, uh, they were the father of. But then notice verse 16, a very clear change in wording. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. It doesn't say that Joseph begot Jesus. It just says that Jesus came from Mary. J J Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus. He was the legal father, but he wasn't the actual father. And God very clearly shows us that Joseph was the legal father. Now, so this is important because Jesus now had the legal right to the throne through his uh, stepfather, I guess might be called. He went, he had the, he had the legal right to the throne through his stepfather, Joseph. Because his stepfather, Joseph, was related to David and was related to Judah. But his actual descendant, not from um, David through um, Solomon, but through another son, Nathan. Look at Luke chapter, 20, chapter 3, verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, or as we would pronounce it, Eli. And so Jesus was the grandson of Eli through Mary. Eli was Mary's father or Jesus's grandfather. All through David, but not through Solomon, but through Nathan, another son of David. 
not Nathan the prophet, but another son of David. And so now we've established the fact that he could come all the way through. He could be through, through, uh, through Judah. He could be through David. All the way through, God put it together. It's amazing how God put this mystery. Is 2020 an unusual year? Yes. But while it's an unusual year, the fact is the first Christmas was unusual, to be sure. This year, as we've come to the end, we look at our Christmas and we say, yes, it's unusual, but thank God. God has brought this stability. Many people have told me this year, they've said, you know, it's been the craziest year, but I think I've felt more the peace of God, the strength of God than ever before. This week, I read a story that kind of, I think, just brings to light how the difference when your heart is just open to the Lord and soft to the Lord. It's a story of a man by the name of Harry Bashera. He was a, had a serious medical problem. This took place in Ohio State University's Department of Research Surgery, one of the most unique surgeries they've ever done. He was 30 years old. When he was a child, he'd been playing with a friend, and uh, they were playing with a gun, and he actually got uh, shot with a little, with a 22 <laughs> um, pistol. That little bullet lodged in his chest close to his heart. Because of the way that it was, they really felt like they couldn't take it out. And so they just said, well, we can just leave it there and we will take care of it at another time when it's more, it's better time. However, as they, uh, as they had that time together and over the years, the bullet uh, was there, they said that it got a, a lime deposit would grow around it and it got bigger and bigger until it formed a sheath. It actually then began to encompass the heart. And so his heart couldn't beat like it needed to. So he was uh, unable to function very good. And so the doctors decided they would have to take this stony, hard sheath off of this man's heart. They went inside, moved that lung aside, got in there, and they said they peeled away that, that uh, lime deposits like just peeling an orange, just kind of little piece after piece. When the man woke up after the surgery, he said, man, I feel like a hundred percent better. I cannot believe how much better I feel. Just getting that hard, stony covering away from his heart just allowed him to breathe and to feel so much better. You know, I thought about that. I read that. I thought, boy, I tell you what, that is, if there is not a picture of 2020. So many people I've noticed just seem like there's this hardness that's got in their life. We see it in the media every day, but I tell you what, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, that heart, that heart can be so clean. It can be so pure and it all gets soft again. That's what Jesus does. It's an unusual Christmas, but thank God, God takes the unusual and does the amazing. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning. I am glad that God came and was born of human. Emmanuel, Emmanuel. That's the song we sang a few moments ago, but it's a great chorus because it reminds us that God came in the flesh. He fulfilled all the things that scripture said he had to, mysterious things, amazing things, unusual things. But with God's help, we can come to Him and we can have a warm heart this year. 
What a great way to finish the year by just saying, God, I thank you for how good you are. Perhaps tonight or this morning, excuse me, you'd just say, you know, Lord, I just, I, I want that soft heart. It's been a tough year, but I just claim that soft heart. I believe what the Bible says about your heritage, about your holiness, about your home, about all of you. I believe that. And Lord, I want a soft heart this year. And as we begin the new year, Lord, I just want a clean heart. I want to serve you, Lord. That's what I want to do. If that's your prayer this morning, would you just lift your hand, please, all over the building. I pray that God will just give me a soft heart for God. Let me pray. God, I just thank you for these that are here. And I pray that, Lord, as we close this service, that, Lord, you'll just come in your presence. Thank you, Lord. I can't think of a better sermon to just initiate this building, Lord, than to think about Jesus Christ. I pray that each one, Lord, would have a warm heart. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's sing that together. And here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. I think it'd be a sweet thing if many of you would just come here to the altar and just uh, initiate this new building with people just uh, praying, kneeling if you can, or at least coming and just saying, Lord, I just pray for a soft heart. I pray that God, you'll bring souls into this place. And then in the days to come, it'll be a day serving the Lord. Would you do that? Let's begin to sing. God, will you come and come into our lives? Emmanuel, sing it out.